All right. Um, we're on lesson 10 in our books, Greatest Questions of the Old Testament by Brother Leroy Brownlow. And I have a little PowerPoint, if it'll work. Didn't work last week for Sam. Maybe we'll get it, see what happens this week. Click. What you need me to do is Chris. What do I need to do? Stand back or I think the name of the file is Why, do you, Why Ye Look Upon One Another, Lesson 10. Okay. Chris. Thanks, Tim. All right. So, um, we're going to read the lesson for the text. You can go to the next slide, Tim. Uh, all right. So, the text for the lesson is uh, Genesis 41, 54 to 57, on into uh, 42, 1 through 3. So, uh, this uh, question was asked by Jacob, uh, and the question was uh, during the seven years of the famine, because Egypt and the rest of the world was under famine, the rest of the known world was under famine, uh, as prophesied through uh, Joseph from God, uh, about seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, and... Um, so Jacob asked the 11 remaining sons, really 10, because Benjamin was not requested to go, um, to go to Egypt and get grain, and because it was so severe. So we'll read the text to begin with, uh, Genesis 41, 54 through 42, 3. Um, and the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said, and the dearth was in all the lands. But in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, for what he says, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to buy corn, because the famine was so sore in all the lands. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, 
Jacob said to his sons, why do you look one upon another? And he said, indeed, I have heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy food there that one may live and not die. So Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. So next slide there, okay. The story of Joseph. We're not going to do an in-depth uh, discussion of that, but we're going to talk a little bit about the background for this story and what happened. And if anybody wants to comment about any of this, they can. But this is going to be a story of leadership is kind of what we're talking about here. And um, either this week or this week and next week, we're going to talk about leadership in, in depth and see uh, not so much from a deacon and elder standpoint in the church, but just leadership overall and how we're supposed to be as Christians in approaching that. And we're going to kind of even get into the corporate world a little bit there because in my opinion, I think how you act in, in the corporate world reflects on your Christian life. I mean, you don't go back to work Monday and become a completely different person. You gotta treat people right at work too. And I thought it would be interesting to talk about a little bit of that. But this, this week mainly, and maybe a little bit into the leadership, but this week we'll talk about Joseph and this story of Jacob and the sons. So, um, this is Genesis 42 to 50, kind of a little bit of an overview here. Um, the, uh, the story of Joseph and his brothers starts when the famine started. Jacob sent 10 sons. He held Benjamin back. Now, why did he hold Benjamin back? Does anybody want to? He was young. And who was he by? Rachel. Good. That's right. It, Rachel was the one he really loved, uh, Jacob, and because he had to go, put so much effort into obtaining, to getting her for his wife. He worked, was it 20 years total? Four? Uh, seven years for Leah, seven years for Rachel, and then six more years because he was tricked by his father-in-law there. Uh, that's an interesting story there to to get into um, if you want to read about that. but So he worked so hard to get Rachel that he wanted to protect Joseph and um, Benjamin. But as it turns out, Joseph he thought was dead. So we'll talk about some of that. Um, so he sent the 10 brothers um, to Egypt. And when the brothers met Joseph in Egypt, he knew that he knew them, but they didn't recognize him. To test their character, he charged them with being spies and kept them for three days. Afterwards, he released all but one and sent, uh, sent them with grain to their families. And he requested that they bring Benjamin back as proof of their original story of being 12 sons of Jacob. And this is in Genesis 42. Um, it's kind of interesting here that Joseph has kind of 
flip this story on its on its lid a little bit here because he, you know, he was he was uh, kind of deceived and everything when he was younger, and uh, they they sold him into slavery with the Ishmaelites. Well, now Joseph's kind of got the upper hand, and. You know, Joseph is, has got good intentions at heart and all that, but he's kind of got the control here, and so he... <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going to talk about that, too. Uh, there's a lot of things that Joseph is doing to kind of test his brothers to see just how far they've come spiritually or um, how they've matured. So at this point, the brothers felt that the mistreatment was payback for what they did to their brother. And Joseph heard what they had discussed, and he left them to weep. He kept Simeon and sent back the others and returned the money in their grain sacks. So imagine their uh, surprise when they got back to Canaan and they had the money that they had brought to buy the corn with them. The brothers were terrified when they found the money in their sacks. When they returned home, they told Jacob that they would need to take Benjamin with them once they had run out of grain, but he refused to, to, to do so. So Benjamin uh, was supposed to return back to Egypt with them. So, um, so Joseph continues to test his brothers. He, uh, the, the famine forced Jacob to agree to send his children to Egypt. And Judah convinced the father to send Benjamin along with him, giving his own life as surety for his brother's life. So we see right here that uh, Judah is um, changing. He's becoming more spiritual. He's, becoming, he's maturing. Uh, so what did... What was Judas' part in the Joseph story before this? Does anybody know, remember? He was the one who sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites. So we see that he has changed here. He's uh, kind of had some um, repentance, some remorse for what he had done. He's uh, agreeing to put his own life up for the other son of Rachel, which is Benjamin. This time Jacob sends gifts and doubles the money for the grain with, with them. When the brothers reached Egypt, Joseph commanded his servants to prepare a special meal for his brothers that they may eat with them. So, you know... I think if I were one of those brothers, I'd begin to get a little suspicious by now. Uh, there's something strange about this Egyptian leader here that they're getting their grain from. The brothers explained to Joseph Stewart about the money that was placed in their sacks, and Joseph's servant brought Simeon out. So he came out then from being um, you know, in prison. When Joseph came to meet them, the brothers bowed to him and fulfilled Joseph's dream that he had seen. So what was this dream? Do you all remember? Yeah, he dreamed they were going to be bowing down to him. Yeah, sun, moon, and the stars, and the, uh, the sheaves 
the uh, grain. They were going to, so this fulfills that. Uh, that's right, Mike. Joseph asked about the family and was moved with emotion. And, he, and when he saw Benjamin, his brother, so he left the room to weep. At the table, the brothers were seated according to their birth order. Well, that would be a little bit more <laughs> ironic there, wouldn't it? If you were one of those brothers and you were lined up at the table in the order of your birth there. I mean, how did the Joseph, well, how would he have known that, you know, uh, unless he'd had some inside information there. Benjamin was given five times the food that his brothers got. Another clue. Uh, and again, Joseph tested his brothers by returning their money in their grain sacks, but this time he placed his, the silver cup in Benjamin's sack. When the brothers left, he sent his servant after them, accusing them of theft and threatening to take whoever had stolen the cup. They came back to Joseph and Judah begged for Benjamin's life. So we see his change in there still, saying that if something happened to Benjamin, their father would die. And I guess he thought that uh, Jacob would have a heart attack if both of uh, Rachel's sons had died there. At this point, Judah offered his own life to save Benjamin. And um, so this is a very, um, a, just a 180 for, for, for Judah here. This, so the next thing is Joseph forgives his brothers. This is a real kind of a short overview, I know. And if anybody wants to talk about any of this in depth, we may have time because we're going to try to, we may make two lessons out of this. The story of Joseph continues to tell uh, the story of Joseph continues to tell that upon seeing this evidence of love to Benjamin, he knew that his brothers had changed. So he dismissed his servants and wept loudly, so loudly that Pharaoh's house heard him. Then he revealed his identity to his brothers who were shocked and scared of what they might end up doing to them in retaliation for what had been done to Joseph so many years ago. But Joseph forgave his brothers and told them that, they, that even though they had betrayed him, God overruled their evil act for good. This is in Genesis 50, 15 to 21. This is a real key passage in uh, this story because yeah, Joseph is basically telling his brothers that God intervened in this story to providentially uh, save the world uh, by providing food for everybody through this story and that, you know, it was all planned. Uh, the spirit of his heart was filled with forgiveness and though acquainted, uh, by, though acquainted with the experience from human betrayal, uh, Joseph had never harbored any evil thoughts or resentment or hatred to his brothers. Then Joseph sent his brothers to bring Jacob and the whole family back to Egypt. Now, by, by then, you know, these sons had, had, had married and had sons of their own. So, the, you know, the, the Israel, Israelites are getting to be a pretty big, you know, bunch of people even then. 
um, and told them to live in the land of Goshen. And Goshen was where they had cattle and sheep and a lot of that, a uh, lot of, uh, you know, farm, a lot of uh, raising of cattle and sheep, that sort of thing. This area was one of the richest parts of Egypt. Jacob longed for the reunion with his beloved son, and the sight of Joseph would be a great compensation for all the long years of sorrow that Jacob had suffered with pain, and it would crown his life with joy. But he feared that he might be going against God's will and going to Egypt. And the reason this is the case is, um, if you remember, Abraham journeyed to Egypt in Genesis 12, and there were, uh, Abraham was told, told the Pharaoh that uh, Sarah was his sister. Well, he was his half-sister, but uh, he was also married to her, of course. And so to keep the Pharaoh or anyone else from uh, trying to get his wife, he told him it was his sister, and uh, God sent plagues on the house of Pharaoh. And so that, that was a bad thing that had happened. And a similar story happened with Isaac, you know, Abraham's son, when uh, he and Rebekah came there uh, later on, and he told uh, the Pharaoh that uh, she was his cousin. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, two parallel stories there, two bad things that happened in Egypt. But um, anyway, so Jacob had that history there to worry about. He thought, well, you know, why should I be going here? But, you know, it was from God to go there. It was all in his plan. But God comforted Jacob at Beersheba and promised him, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt. Or I will make of you a great nation there. Genesis 46, 3. Thus, before leaving to uh, Jacob to receive the assurance that God would go to him, go with him. So uh, Joseph is reunited with his beloved father Jacob, and he blessed Joseph and his sons, and giving the greater blessing to the younger of the two sons. Um, I was going to ask uh, what y'all thought about that particular story. So who are the sons of Joseph? Do y'all remember? Ephraim. Ephraim, right, and Manasseh. So Ephraim is blessed by Jacob's right hand and not Manasseh, who is the older son. Um, so does anybody want to because you know there's a lot of there's a lot of um, biblical scholars who really don't know what this was about. What do y'all think that was about? Ephraim was like a bread half turned. His, his bread wasn't quite done. How he's described. Okay. Well, the debate on this is that perhaps Jacob did this in light of his own personal experience. Of course, he, J Jacob was the second born, and he uh, got the birthright from his brother Esau, who was the first born, but he 
tricked him out of it. So he might have already felt that way about birthrights or in, to begin with, you know, that maybe it was the person who really warranted getting the birthright in, in, instead of the person who was just automatically supposed to get it. Um, and another, uh, another thing I read was perhaps Jacob didn't want to show any sibling rivalry because he had gone through a lifetime of it with Esau. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's another thing is that Ephraim was going to be the one who would be more prominent through Israelite history than Manasseh. So, you know, that, that's a very kind of a tough thing to really get into, to really understand, but it's always been kind of interesting that that, that happened. And um, so anyway, I just thought I'd see what anybody else thought about that. If anybody has any thoughts about that, you can tell me now or tell other some other time. I just, um, it's always been a kind of an interesting thing. I've never known really the whole story. Maybe that's something we can find out in heaven, hopefully someday. Uh, the story... Right. And we know the history of that. They did become a great nation, but yet they had to go through a lot of struggles to get there. They were, they were slaves, they were you know, persecuted by the Egyptians and all that. And sometimes, you know, uh, God uses the struggles of life to make a great nation or to make a, a, a stronger Christian or a stronger church because it can be the struggles that help you grow into that's right. That's right. On, on the anvil, I think, Brother Max Lucado, before he changed, changed churches, he had a book called On the Anvil. And uh, it talked about all the trials and tribulations to make us into good Christians. That's a good, good point there, Brother Paul. Yeah, um, so anyway, that's uh, interesting. We could, that's something we could research, uh, certainly. So the story of Joseph tells us that Jacob was 130 years old when he arrived in Egypt. Joseph had been 30 years old at the time of his appointment to office, uh, Genesis 41:46. And since that time, the seven plentiful years and two of the years of famine had passed. Now Joseph had reached the age of 39 and he lived 110 years before he died. Uh, and it, he was 56 at his father's death, and his father died at 130, uh, and consequently outlived his father by 54 years. Jacob's family lived in a fertile region, was generously supported by Joseph. Consequently, they flourished greatly, and the result was not only an ac uh, accumulation of riches, but a rapid increase in population. So there was, was it, was it, how many did they, was it 70 that came to um, Goshen or 66? I should have looked that up before I even brought it up. But uh, it had grown to like 70 or something that his family had become. And then they became hundreds of thousands to well over a million when they left 
uh, Egypt years later. His right-hand man. Yeah. They don't talk about that, but he remained faithful to God on the throne. Yeah. With all that power, and yet he still made good choices. Mm-hmm. And uh, withstood Potiphar's wife's coming on to him and that sort of thing. I mean, he was really uh, a person that we should follow in a lot of ways. Um, Jacob's descendants lived in Egypt until the time of Moses. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He took the bones of Joseph with him uh, as Joseph had instructed in Genesis 50, 24, and 25. Later on, he continued. He, later on, according to the story of Joseph, the children of Israel preserved Joseph's remains and fulfilled his request to be buried in Canaan. So this story shows a stark contrast to the management styles of Joseph as compared with his brothers and, uh, and Jacob for that matter. The brothers were complacent, reluctant, and fearful um, to go to Egypt to obtain grain during the famine. But by contrast, Joseph trusted God and through his bondage in Egypt, and God allowed him to rise through the ranks of power and be one of the most powerful rulers, uh, you know, in Egypt behind the Pharaoh. He administered the stored grain during the famine and kept his integrity and was well respected in the land. Mike was talking about that just a minute ago. Uh, 10.04. Okay. We'll get into a little bit of leadership. No, we'll go to the next slide. Okay, leadership, good and bad examples. So, um, how many of you have had bad managers or supervisors where you've worked? <laughs> okay, of course, I may have been a bad one, I don't know. But anyway, um, well, I certainly have. And... Um, so there's been poor leadership in just about every organization that's ever been, you know, created as far as that goes. There's been people who seem to have others' best interests at heart or knew what they were doing, and uh, there's been the opposite. So here's two different scenarios. A worker new to his job continues to make mistakes and the supervisor demeans him. He demeans his character and tells him he's just not fit for the job. The worker gets frustrated and quits the job. Case number two, a worker new to his job makes frequent mistakes. The supervisor goes over the procedures of the job with him, constantly works with him, and praises him when he begins to understand and do the job right. The worker's performance, uh, uh, his worker's performance and productivity soar. So which supervisor do y'all want? Well, I want the second one. Um, now compare the worker to a young Christian. What type of Christian are we? Do we have patience with others? Uh, do we 
um, or do we tear them down and criticize them when, they, when people sin? So we don't need to be that way, um, especially when they're trying to do what's right. Uh, Joseph and Jesus were both patient. We're going to talk about some of the characteristics of Joseph, and then we're going to get into some of the characteristics of Jesus and how they were the perfect leaders and kind of compare that to being supervisors. And um, they, they were very compassionate. And uh, so we'll spend, we'll spend the rest of our time with that. So uh, next slide, I guess. Characteristics of good leaders. So I guess we'll go straight into the next one. Fixed standards. All right, all good leaders know what their mission is. Uh, if your boss doesn't know what your mission is, then how are you gonna supposed to know? Joseph knew that he had to administer grain both to the citizens of Egypt and to the whole world during the seven-year famine. So what, a, what a job he had. Um, it was one that he couldn't do by himself, so he had to get people to help him to do that. And he had to be on a good uh, rapport with the people that were under him to be able to pull that off. And, um, you know, that's, that's very important to, to be able to get along with people. Uh, Jesus, uh, by the same uh, uh, token, uh, knew his mission on earth. It was based on sound principles of truth, and we see those in Matthew 5 through 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount, and where Jesus kind of lays down his, his, uh, the principles of his mission. We talked about this in our uh, teacher's class that uh, Brother Chris is teaching. Um, the the um, Jesus came to fulfill the, the Old Testament, not to destroy it. And so he basically takes in the uh, Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, he says, well, that's what was said in the Old Testament. Let me just tell you what the New Testament is going to be about. And he kind of sums it up by saying that you're supposed to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love others as yourself. And he, he came and, and talked about the poor in spirit. He talked about the people who were the downtrodden of the earth and uh, the people who had never been uh, gotten any, um, you know, any recognition on earth. And he talked about how they would be brought, you know, to a higher esteem. And the people like the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees who had always been in charge and had kind of been hypocrites, how they were going to be, you know, brought low. And so, you know, that's, um, that Jesus knew his mission. Um, and there's so many uh, people nowadays that don't really know what their mission is. So it, they don't know what their purpose is, either at work or in life itself. Um, and, you know, changing the rules in midstream, not having fixed standards, as we're talking about here, 
Um, this moving of the goalpost type thing, uh, that's, uh, that, that confuses people. Um, it, it's happened in the world of religion and by the many denominations that we currently have. And, uh, you know, I hate to use this for an example, but it's the truth. This pandemic that we've had, we've heard just about everything under the sun about this pandemic. We've said, we've heard that uh, 15 days to slow the spread. Well, that really worked out, didn't it? Um, we've heard, you know, masks stop the, the, the uh, you know, masks will stop this virus in its tracks. Well, that didn't work. But, you know, so many things, just about everything they've told us hadn't been right about that. But, you know, with Jesus, and with, uh, we don't have to worry about that sort of thing because it's a fixed standard. It's from the foundation of the world that it, he knew all these things. And it's not like man. We're not talking about man's standards. We're talking about Jesus' standards. Um, True management, like Jesus and Joseph and even Jacob, is based on clear truths that do not change and that are applied equally to all men. In other words, we don't pick out a certain group over here and say, well, y'all do this and y'all do that and that sort of thing. So true management, as Joseph and especially Jesus exemplified, is based on clear truths and they don't change and they're applied equally. And uh, John 17, 17 says, Sanctify uh, the truth, thy word is truth. And Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I, I'm sure that there's been a lot of you who have been working on a project at work or something, and then the, the boss comes in all of a sudden and says, Stop what you're doing, we're doing this now, and it's completely different. And sometimes that's understandable if there's something that's, uh, you know, that's come up that has to be done that's kind of an emergency. But a lot of times these emergencies are caused by people who didn't do proper planning to begin with. And so, you know, if you do proper planning to begin with and you have a clear-cut mission and you run your business in a good, uh, sound way, some of these uh, emergencies don't come up so much all the time. Um, but anyway, there's fixed standards with, um, you know, good management. So that's, uh, has anybody got any comments? Anybody got any comments about anything we've said so far? That's right. That's right. I had a boss where I worked my last job, and uh, he'd just get on the phone and he'd say, stop what you're doing, we're gonna do this today, and I gotta have it. And uh, you'd work a day or two on it, send it to him, and, it, and, uh, and you'd tell him, here it is, send him an email or whatever, and send him here. 
oh, I don't need that anymore. And, you know, that kind of thing is very demoralizing to, a, to an employee. I mean, it's, um, we're going to talk about communication, I think, next. And I think I'll wait till next week to get into that. But. That's right. That is a great point. That's right, Brother Nathan. That's a good point. If y'all didn't hear it, he, he said it all starts with how you plan your day. And, uh, you know, getting God into the day, just kind of a, a little bit off, you've got to plan that. You don't work God into your day. You've got to plan prayer. You've got to plan Bible reading and that sort of thing. So we'll get back on this next week, and we'll go through the rest of these uh, management uh, points, and, and um, then we'll go from there the following week. All right, thank you for your comments.